0: So great to be with you today, both here in the auditorium and for those who are watching online. Uh, A couple other real quick notes before we jump into today's message. If you're a newcomer here, we extend a special welcome to you. We know many people give church a try, come back to church in the fall, and uh, as fall is now upon us, can you believe it? It's now upon us. The easiest way for you to introduce yourself to us whenever you're ready to do that is just fill out... The edge of this handout that you received, and put that in one of the boxes as you leave or the information table. And we'd love to get in touch with you whenever you're ready to get in touch with us. As has been noted already, there's so much going on in the church as this is kind of launch week for all of our ministries that occur in the church throughout the year, but sometimes take a little bit different form during the summer. They're all launching back up in full form for the fall. And you have an opportunity to see those. So perhaps you've come to church today and you say, I need a recovery group of some kind. I've been going through a divorce, or I've been dealing with an addiction of some kind, or I need a life coach, I need someone to help me out in the challenges that I'm going through, I need to be a part of a life group community, or I'd like to serve somewhere. Well, you came on the right day. We have this great ministry expo out there, and if you've already walked through it, you saw... Our staff and so many volunteers did such an amazing job setting that all up for you so you can see what's happening in the church, though, this fall and perhaps find the right areas to get involved. At the very least, you can stop at a few of those and get some snacks. That's pretty good, huh? All right, that's what I'll be doing after service. Maybe you'll join me. Uh, let's pray for this morning and for these new ministries as they get started, and I ask you to pray specifically for C20 ministry, which is our ministry to our college and young adults here at Carnegie E. Free. They really launch tonight at UNK at 7 p.m. There's more details on that in the handout and at their booth as well, but 7 p.m. tonight, big, big ministry launch, and so we are so grateful to welcome back the CCC and UNK students and love for you to join them for that launch tonight at 7 o'clock. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful as we move to the fall. We're thankful, Lord, for the routine that it provides. Thank you, Lord, for the great summer that we've had here at Carney E Free. But now, as our ministry programming goes into full force, we ask God that you would lead us. There are some here who are launching new ministries. There are others that are reinitiating ministries that went on in previous years. And I ask God that you would lead them as they take so many different areas of service for this church, and for your will in our community. I pray for each and every one of them. There's so many volunteers in this room right now. Bless them as they serve this fall. And Father, we pray that you would give a particularly strong launch to C20 this evening. May your hand of mercy, may your strength be on Pastor Aaron and Allison as they get that ministry started. We're so grateful to have them here, and we ask in the mighty name of Jesus that you would use them and their leadership team to make a dent for the kingdom at UNK and with 20-somethings in our community and beyond. May it be, we ask in the name of Jesus and God's people say, amen, amen. Well, a doting mother asked her kindergarten son after church on a recent Sunday morning, what did you learn in Sunday school, honey? Moms, can you imagine the scene? Perhaps you're in the minivan and you turn back. What did you learn today in church? Perhaps you have those kinds of conversations on the way home from church as we do. And the boy replied to his mom, Mom, today at church, I learned about Jesus and the 12 recycles. Which is just about right, isn't it? Like when you think about the 12 disciples, they were more like 12 recycles. You think about Peter, it's like, oh man, you don't want to disagree with him. He might cut your ear off. Or about Thomas, like do you really want him on your team? Well, what if it doesn't work? What if this doesn't work? Why, why, why? You know, do you want that guy who's doubting everything on your team? Or you think of James and John, you know what their nickname was? Sons of Thunder. They had some anger management issues, apparently. And they're part of the 12 recycles on Jesus' original team. It begs the question for me: how did Jesus so transform these guys? Just 12 ordinary men in three short years. I mean, last time I checked, most of us are not transformed in only three years. And perhaps even more to the point, how did he use these 12 ordinary people and then 72 more ordinary men and women to transform Galilee and Jerusalem and Judea and the Roman Empire, and eventually the world itself. Like, if you watch Jesus, as you look at the Gospels, any one of the little biographies of Jesus, and you witness the way he interacted with people, you'll see that he had great concern for the world. And you'll see that the multitudes of people flocked to him. But you'll also notice that he spent the lion's share of his time with twelve Very ordinary people. And then as he sought, this was his methodology, as he sought to transform those 12 and then 72 more and then the region around him, eventually he did transform the entire world. Like, it's incredible. As you you think back, it's been almost 2,000 years since Jesus died and was resurrected in probably about 33 to 34 AD. Here we are in 2018. And you'd have to say with Over two billion people naming Christ in some way, shape, or form. Only he knows those who are his. But two billion people naming him in some way, shape, or form, you'd have to to say that he has indeed transformed the world. Wouldn't you say? Through 12 ordinary recycles. Turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke. Luke. It's the third book in the New Testament. If you have a Bible with you today or if you have it on your phone, that's fine too. We'll also have the verses up on the screen. Just as an aside, today I'll be in the Gospel of Luke in a few different passages. This week in your Bible reading plan, if you've picked up one of these orange Bible reading plans out there at the journey wall or the information table, this week you'll notice we're in the Gospel of Mark. And one of my regrets in this series, God's Story, Our Story, is in doing such a broad macro portrait of God's work throughout the entirety of the Bible is we can't really drill down on any individual passage, can we? And that's been so hard for me at many different times when I've wanted to drill down at an individual passage. But what I'd like at least for us to do as we think about discipleship today and throughout this next week is today I'm going to be in Luke and perhaps though this week you would commit to reading the entirety of the Gospel of Mark. And Mark is the shortest of the four biographies of Jesus. It's only 16 short chapters. If you committed 15 minutes a day for the next six, day, six days, you'd read right through it, and you'd have a better knowledge of the most influential man in all of history. Can't go wrong with that, whatever you believe in today. So I encourage you to look at the Gospel of Mark this week. Today we'll be in Luke Chapter 5, as we seek to understand Jesus' methodology for discipleship. Well, what are our four values here at Carney E free? I wonder if we could have a little bit of audience participation here. Talk in church time. What's one of our four values at Carney E free? Every person matters is our vision state. Is our vision statement? Whoever said that, that's exactly right. That's our vision statement. You matter deeply to God, you matter deeply to us. But in addition to that, we have four core values. Four words. What's one? Gospel is one of our four core values. Any others? Truth is another one. I heard community and one more. And mission. Gospel, truth, community, and mission. Those are our four core values for discipleship here at Carney E. Free Church. Well, how do we come up with those four core values? Well, I'm so glad that you asked. For that, I would like to suggest that these four words comprise, along with prayer, all of these four being bathed in prayer, they comprise a substantial part of Jesus' methodology for changing the world from 12 ordinary men, turning them into great disciples, and then spraying it like wildfire throughout the Roman Empire and into the world today. Truth, gospel, community, and mission This is a big piece of his methodology for changing us today. Do I have your attention? Luke chapter 5, looking now here at verse 27. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me. Just two words, follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi, also called Matthew, got up, I underline in my Bible, he left everything, and he followed him. Do you know that no matter the century, no matter the decade, no matter the age, if you choose to follow Jesus, you will have to leave something else? Do you know that? Following him will always involve leaving something else, and so... Matthew got up, and in this case, he left his tax business, and he followed him. Then Levi, called Matthew, held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, those who were the religious experts who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and known sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Oh man, I would love to preach on that for about a month. What a powerful passage this is. But at least for this morning, the point that I want to draw out here today is this. Jesus ate with them. He ate dinner with them. He invited them into community with him. This is profound. Jesus chose to dine with, extend the hand of friendship to tax collectors and known sinners. I don't know about you, but when I invite someone into my home, that's a hand of connection. That's a hand of friendship. It means something means I care about you, and I want to have community with you. It was so, and then some, back in ancient Israel. About a month ago, a friend of mine from Ogallala and I met at a town in between us for a round of golf, and another town over an hour away from here, and we started off on hole number one as we were about to tee off. Another gentleman drove up, and he asked if he could join us for a round of golf. We said, sure, that's great. Um, About that first hole somewhere in there, I asked, well, what do you do for a living? He shared what he did for a living. Come to the second tee box, he asked us, and how about you? What do you do for a living? Hmm, how do I respond to this? (laughs) To which my friend and I respond, uh, we're we're pastors. He pastors in Ogallala, and I pastor in Kearney, and, and, and that's what we do for a living. And he starts to chuckle under his breath. And he says, oh man, my buddies are never going to let me live this one down. I played golf with a couple of ministers today. And so we talk a little bit, and after exchanging a number of more pleasantries, I ask him, so how about you? Do you have a home church? Do you go to church? And, and he says, oh, I used to go to church. But you know, those guys are a bunch of, Self-righteous jerks, they act one way on Sunday morning, they act a different way during the week. And mind you, this is the second hole. <laughs> I, I got in the next four hours of spend with this guy that just called me a yeah, self-righteous jerk. This is going to be a long day. But that's the way a lot of people think of the church, isn't it? You talk to people, I talk to people. That's the way a lot of people think of the church. They're a bunch of self-righteous jerks. They act one way on Sunday morning, they act a different way during the week. Can I tell you if you're new here today that we are aiming for the opposite of that? Can I tell you if you're new here though this morning that we are aiming for what Jesus did with Matthew, the tax collector? A tax collector is someone that would have been hated much more than you hate your tax collector. A tax collector of that day well was someone who was employed by the Roman Empire even though he was a Jewish man to tax his fellow Jews and he was known as one who would take a little bit off the top for himself. And so he was hated and treated as a betrayer by his fellow Jews. And here's Jesus saying, "You know what? The kingdom of God is not too far for you. I'm coming to dine with you too." And not just you, but also known sinners, whoever they might be, I have come for them as well. I have not come for those who think they need no doctor. I've come for the ones who know they are sick, and I extend the hand of community to them. And he still does. So this is one of our core values for us here at Carney E. Free, is wherever you are, you are just another person in process, And where I am on stage this morning, I am just another man in process, in this journey, to more and more Christ-likeness. And so we say ordinary people coming together in community, journeying together toward Christ, praying for one another, carrying each other's burdens as families, digesting the scriptures together, agreeing and disagreeing with the pastor's message on Sunday morning, learning together in community. Because you see, Christianity was never intended to be an individual sport. It was always intended to be a team sport. And community is the context for life change. I am so grateful here to be able to tell you on this Sunday morning that over 62% of people who call Carney E Free Church their church home have a life group community of some kind. Over 62%. That's incredible. Uh, yeah, you can clap for that. That's wonderful. One day, I hope to stand on this stage and say 90% or what if 100% of people had a group in Men's Forge or a life group, a couples group, a a single moms group, a recovery group, a a women's group. We have so many different kinds. And this is such a value for us because it was such a value to Jesus. He spent more time touching people and serving people and eating with people than doing most any other action. And as you read the Gospel of Mark this week, you'll even notice that what he frequently did as his method for teaching was this. They would see some object lesson from life and then Jesus would teach from it. Let's talk about it. Let's just sit and talk about it together. It was community as he was teaching. Like, I mean, Jesus was, he was very task-oriented. You could not change the world. He was aiming toward his destination called Jerusalem and that old rugged cross, His whole ministry, he was task-oriented toward that. But his task was people. And the way he changed the world was as he was also people-oriented. And he collided with people in their mess, and he touched them. So maybe you come here week in and week out, and you get... Hopefully the truth of the gospel here on Sunday morning or through the bilingual service or through C20, but you don't have any community. And I want you to know community becomes the real boots on the ground place for applying what you learn on Sunday morning. So be it Men's Forge or a life group or some other community group, please go out to our ministry expo today and consider, if you're not yet in a community of your own, how you might enter into a safe environment with other people who are not put together. They're just like you. They're in process. Second, Jesus taught them. He taught his disciples, and that's truth. Part of what a good discipler does, part of what a good teacher does is spend a lot of time teaching people. And so uh, Jesus regularly modeled and then he taught, he instructed, he personalized it. And there's this example here in Luke chapter 11 in which Jesus is praying by himself and his disciples come to him. Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, would you please teach us how to pray like you pray?" Lord, this is what we need. We need to learn how to become better prayers. We want to learn from you how to pray. And so Jesus turns to his disciples and he begins to instruct them on a body of knowledge on how they would grow in this wonderful gift that God gives us of prayer. That our prayers do not reach the ceiling and then fall back to our feet, but we can actually beseech our Father God and he hears our prayers. So Jesus says to him, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, I've been fortunate to have a number of friendships with practicing Jews, and on occasion they've brought me into their home. And one of the sweetest moments was when I was studying Hebrew in seminary, and I would go into one of their homes. And as I was studying Hebrew, I learned the word for for father is Abba. And in this one family's home that I'm thinking of right now, a little three-year-old girl would say, Abba, may I please have some more milk? It's the word she would use. She's saying, Daddy, may I please have some more milk? To which Jesus invites us to say, Daddy, here's my need. Abba, here's my need. And yet at the same time, he invites us to say, Hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name, set apart and unique and all-powerful and just and great is your name. And he gives them this instruction on how to pray, understanding the character of God as you pray. He goes on to say, give us this day our daily bread for today that we would not have too much and hoard it, but not too little that we'd be tempted to steal. Give us enough for today. And he goes on to pray, God, would you forgive us of our sins today because Lord knows we sin just about every day. Anyone else? In our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. Like this should be a daily practice. God forgive me as I would forgive others who might sin against me. And so practice the gospel. What he is doing there is beautiful teaching. He models the truth. He teaches the truth. He personalizes and then he applies the truth to their lives. That's what a master teacher like Jesus does. Now we really believe in truth here at Carney E Free, so if you're a newcomer here today, I want you to know that we believe in truth with a capital T. Some people in the world today believe in truth with a lowercase t, which is basically I believe in my preferences, and I believe that I will be the master over everything that I want to be. I will be sovereign over my life. What we believe when we talk about truth is that God is sovereign over our lives, that his word and Jesus himself has authority over our lives, and so we will follow him because his truth is objective and transcendent. And because of that, because it's way bigger than my individual preferences, it's it's actually able to change my life and yours too. Truth is able to do that, but only if it's objective with a capital T. Now, again, many Christians get a bad name because they hit people over the head with truth, like it's a stick. And I want you to know we don't do that here. That's not the way we talk about truth here. That's not the way we teach here. We seek to teach here truth with compassion in our eyes. Truth. In love, as we believe, Jesus taught. And that's my heart every Sunday morning. That's the heart of all of our other pastors Well, when they teach here. Not I'm right and you're wrong, but this is what we believe truth to be. Now let's talk about it together. We believe that truth is objective. And once understood, it can actually change our lives. Third, Jesus changed his disciples. As we discussed already, he transformed his disciples. He changed his disciples. And what changes us more than anything else is the gospel. So if you turn over to Luke chapter 12, we'll see the fruit of that change in the disciples. As he says, this is what's going to happen to you as you take my ministry, as you take my life and truth into you, you will be changed. And he says this in Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom... Friends, do you realize that if you've trusted your life to Christ, you are now in the kingdom of God, in the present? You're not waiting until you die. you can to enjoy love and hope and peace and great trust and growth with Christ and All the benefits of knowing Christ today, you get to be in the kingdom of God today. And one day you'll be ushered into heaven and take a next step into glory. But today we get to enjoy living in the kingdom even right now. So, he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will never wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Now, I'm not talking about money this morning, but just just ask yourself this question. As you read that passage up there, is that a different kind of life than those that we see in our neighborhoods or in our schools on a day-to-day basis? Is that different? Like, to have so much trust that you know my life is securely found in Christ and nothing can ever take me from his hand, to know that I am in the kingdom and that'll never be taken away from me, to know that my treasure really is in heaven, my treasure is not in this world and my pocketbook and my calendar reflects it as such like isn't that a unique different kind of life? But this is what the gospel does. When we get the gospel inside of us, our treasures change. The things we once treasured, we treasure no longer. So Matthew, Levi, at one time, he treasured having lots and lots of money. Then he encounters Christ, and he drops all his greed because his treasure has changed from mammon to Christ. Peter was so prideful, but at the end of his life, he became so humble that he said, I cannot be crucified in the same manner as my Lord was crucified. Crucify me upside down. And he was. And fear melts away when you realize that your treasure is not on earth, but it's in heaven, a place where no moth and rust destroy and no enemy or sin or any other person can ever take away. The gospel changes everything. Do you know that? This is why you'll see someone like Mother Teresa, for example, who spent her entire life caring for people with polio and tuberculosis and AIDS right at the moment of their death. But isn't it so fascinating that whenever you see a picture of Mother Teresa who took this vow of poverty while with these people and exposed herself to their sickness day in and day out, isn't it fascinating that every time you see a picture of Mother Teresa, she has a smile like that on her face? How could it be? Because the love of Christ changes everything. Everything. You get the love of Christ into you, and it changes your outlook toward all of life. Now, some people are really mistaken about this. They, they think that if I believe the gospel and I come to receive Christ as my Savior, then that will change my circumstances. There's many people since I've been here who have come to me and said those very things. That I became a Christian, why does my job continue to stink so much? I became a Christian, why do I continue to struggle with these health challenges or these family dilemmas? And I just wanna tell you, we talk a lot here about the promises of God. We sing about the promises of God, we just did. All your promises are yes and amen. But if you think that the promises of God are for a better life now, you are sadly mistaken. And you will be sorely disappointed by Jesus on a regular basis. Those are not his promises. His promises are not to change our circumstances. He shoots much higher than that. He wants to change us from the inside out for time and for eternity. And so what he does, which is way, way bigger than our circumstances, is he he changes our outlook by saying, you are totally safe in my hands. I have sent my son for you, and he has given his body and blood for you such that there is now no shame, there is no, no... attack that ever could be leveled against you because you are my child and you are completely forgiven. And because you belong to me, Satan can never take you far from my hand and your security, your future, your eternity is safe in me, no matter your circumstances today. Now, if you believe that, would that change your outlook about your present circumstances? Like, come on, right? It would change your outlook about your present circumstances if you believe that right now. Some of us feel like we're just incredibly lonely, and I've been there too, and I have sympathy for that. But you're never alone. The Holy Spirit is called a counselor and a helper, and he is always with you and in you if you have trusted in Christ. And knowing that changes our outlook toward our circumstances. Yeah, I mean, you think about the things that we put security in in this world. The primary thing that most people put security in is this, Right? That's what most people put security in. I have a couple dollars in there, not a lot. But the natural thing is to take security in this. Take up stock in this. And what Jesus does instead is say, I'm going to uproot that treasure of yours, Adrian. And I'm going to let it just flip through your hands. Just roll through your fingers. Because you are not to see that as a treasure that you trust in. You're to see that as something that you steward for the kingdom of God. It's way bigger than what you're thinking about. It's changing our hearts. This is what the gospel does. It changes us from the inside out such that we just have completely different treasures, completely different security in this world. It's way, way, way more than religion. The gospel is a personal relationship with the loving God who died for us, Validated our faith by rising again from the grave, and because we are in Him, though our circumstances very well may stink, our outlook looks rosy. Now, if you have like a mission and you have a community, but you're not consistently a part of Sunday morning or Sunday night at C20, you're, you're missing out probably on a consistent teaching of the truth and the gospel if I do nothing else as pastor here than model and teach increasing joy in the radiance of God, I will have done my job successfully. It's the most important thing though that I can do is teach and model for you increasing joy in the utter radiance of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we come here on a Sunday to Sunday basis because we all suffer from the exact same disease. It's called amnesia. And so we all have to be reminded on a weekly basis This is what is true. What I've been hearing from the world this week, that is what is not true. What I hear from the scriptures, the gospel, and the truth of Christian witness to me, that is what is true. we got to preach this to ourselves. The gospel is not something that you just give to those who are not yet Christians. It is that. But the gospel is something that you live. We get to live in the kingdom right now, and so we preach it to ourselves on a day-in and day-out basis because we need this, and as the gospel gets into us, first on Sunday morning, but then also throughout the week, it's kind of like injecting a sick tree down at the roots. We're all like sick trees, and we need an injection of gospel love way down at the roots, and you don't treat the branches of a sick tree, do you? You go way down into the roots, and you inject medicine into the roots that's the gospel and then all of a sudden it grows through the trunk and out to the branches and you start to have a different kind of outlook toward life that includes more and more hope and joy and peace and patience and trust for our future this is the fruit of living in the gospel on a day in and day out basis God changes us as we enter into his discipleship path and it includes truth, gospel, community, and mission. The final word here is mission, he sent them. If you look at uh, Luke chapter 9, you'll see Jesus sending his inner 12 on their very first uh, mission trip and much like our recent mission trip to Magange, Colombia, it was a dashing success. And then he moves on to Luke chapter 10, and because it was such a dashing success, he takes a much wider, expanded group. First in chapter 9 is the 12, then in chapter 10 is 72 others, and it goes like this. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Do you know this is still true? But the harvest is still plentiful and the workers are still few for that harvest. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you into the harvest field. So incredible to me that these were written to ordinary men and women. These were not the all-star cast. These are 74 people that have been with him for a number of months and they're starting to be changed, but they're ordinary Christians like you and me. To which I'm like, why don't you send a super Christian instead? That's not what he does. He sends ordinary Christians like us who are all in process. And he does that because he wants us to be involved in mission. And there are people that you are able to reach in your school and in your community, in your neighborhood, in your workplace that I will never be able to reach. And he does it because there is no one that you have ever looked into their eyes you've never looked into someone's eyes that does not matter greatly to God. Every single person whose eyes we look into this week, they matter so greatly to God, and so we say they matter so greatly to us. God, would you use me as a laborer for your harvest, perhaps even today? Last week was a a big day for, for me and Susie, last Sunday, uh, it was, it was one of the happiest days of my life, if I can be totally honest, because I got the, the great privilege on Sunday morning to baptize my son, Elijah, and it was just an inexpressible joy to be a part of that, and the baptisms, both of the 915 service and 11 o'clock service were, they were just awesome, and it was such a joy to baptize my son, but I, I got to tell you, after I baptized my son, I didn't really feel pride. That wasn't the emotion that rushed through my body. I I felt thankful. I felt really, really grateful. And it was for two different reasons. One, I felt grateful for the grace of God, the reckless love of God that came to my son. Most, first and foremost, I, I felt thankful for that. But number two, I felt thankful for the many people in this church who have personally chosen to invest in my son's. And I realized in that moment after church on Sunday afternoon that there's no one person that ever leads another person to Christ. It's always a number of links in a very long chain. And I thought of Brad. And I thought of Creighton and Shelby who've been my boys' Sunday school teachers for the last three years. And I thought of Jared. And I thought of Pam Luke, and Tom Shield, who have both invested greatly in my son, both here at the church and at school. And I thought of Adam Watson, who was baptized last Sunday, and, and many, many others. And then I thought some more about other people who in our lives previous to our time moving here three years ago at our old church in Colorado, and I thought of, of Sarah White, and Lexi Sire, and Kurt Gaskins, and Susan Colley and I was flooded with tears. And then that afternoon, our entire life group, every life group family came over to celebrate my son. And I realized, I'm just, I'm just a link in the chain. Maybe along with Susie, the most important links in the chain of our son's lives. But you're involved. When you serve on Sunday morning in the mission of God, you're not just a warm body with preschool workers. As I thought of Lindsay Denny and her volunteer extraordinaire and the, the team that she needs around her at nine fifteen and 11 to make this possible. When I talked about there, well, with Elijah, I said, well, thank you, Lord, for all of these workers, and you're not just a warm body. When you're helping out on Wednesday night with Jordan and the middle schoolers or the high schoolers, you're not just bringing deodorant for those middle schoolers and high schoolers. You're investing in one or two or ten of their lives for time and for eternity. And when you're a part of the tech ministry, you're not just pushing buttons, you're helping to proclaim the Word of God. And when you're part of the Building and Grounds team, you're not just keeping the floors clean. You're keeping a hospitable environment for other people to come in here and know they can be safe and they matter when they get here. You're a part of something bigger. So I just want to ask you, are you involved with some area of mission for the cause of God in this church or through this church to the community? And if you're not, I want to encourage you to find one today. Because this is Jesus' method for our discipleship. Yeah, we need you. I'll make no mistake and I'll make no, no, no apology about it. We need you. But even more, you need it. The way we are changed is as we serve. So as you go out into the hallway after church here and you walk through the ministry expo, you're gonna see this icon out there. And it represents these four core values, truth, gospel, community, and mission. And as you look at this icon representing those, I want you to ask yourself, am I involved with one of each of those environments? One environment Sunday morning where I get the truth of the gospel. Another environment that's a life group community and another environment where I'm giving of my time and talents to help others toward the kingdom of God. And I choose to be involved with one of each of those before two of any of those. And as you do that, you will grow in Jesus' path toward discipleship. Now, as your pastor, let me just ask you a few questions as we close, and some of these might hit close to home for a warning. Ask yourself, are you getting a steady diet of each of those three environments? And if you're not, what needs to change in your life? so that your calendar would reflect your treasure. Number two, if you're not in a community group of some kind, if you're not in a life group of some kind, what are you modeling to your children? Let me tell you, you are modeling for them rugged independence and isolation rather than Christian interdependence and a need for one another as we march toward Christ. And question number three, if you are not serving, what are you modeling for your children? If we don't serve, what are we modeling for our kids? How we answer those questions will likely determine whether we are moving more towards spiritual depth or not. More towards Christ-like discipleship or not. What we want here at Carney Free is not to make you busy. We don't want to give you 10 things to do. We want to give you just three very simple things in this pathway. And I encourage you to take advantage after service as we consider how we might be involved in these three and just give a couple hours to God's great mission in the world, which is his church. Let me close here with a quote from Jeff Vanderstelt. He's uh, an author of a book called Saturate that many of us have read over the past number of years, and he's a pastor up in the Seattle area. He was here a couple years ago doing a conference for us, and he says this, Jesus didn't come to earth to take on human flesh, to live among people as the servant of all, to suffer and die so that we could just go on doing church, go to church for a couple hours a week, No, he wants it all. That's what discipleship means. It's apprenticeship. Jesus, I choose to be your apprentice. I choose to walk with you. God, would you help me make a step today from being merely a believer in Christ to being a disciple of Christ. As he says to you, come, follow me. What's your one next step? What's your one next step? Would you pray with me? Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us Jesus. And we thank you that as Jesus interacted over these three and a half years with his disciples, he transformed them from the inside out. I'm so grateful, Lord, when we look at Levi, the tax collector, that Jesus was not mostly concerned with outward appearance, Jesus was not mostly concerned with what other people think about us. We look at Jesus and we remember that he is mostly concerned with getting us on his path and moving us in his direction, and he receives us right where we are. In grace of all grace, he loves us so much that he won't leave us there. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've given our church this pathway to discipleship. We give ourselves to you in prayer, even as we engage in the truth of the gospel. We give ourselves to you in prayers. We go out in mission. And we give ourselves to you in prayers. We enter into community. There might be folks here in this room today who are thinking, yeah, I need to get out of isolation. Friends, if you're in that place today, you will fight every temptation to say, not me. Resist that and receive the love of God that is for you through a safe community. And there might be some who have heard today, yeah, I need to enter in. I need to give myself to some mission for the cause of God. And you can just go do a test drive with any number of ministries starting this week. You don't have to commit to them for time and for eternity. Just do a test drive. It's not a covenant till death do your part. Take that next step of faith as God directs you. Father, our desire is that you would build your kingdom here, even in Kearney, Nebraska. That you would use us to extend your kingdom into our neighborhoods, into our communities, into our region, into our state, into this nation, and into the world. May it be, even through us. In Christ's name.